Welcome everyone. My name is Cheryl Klontz and I currently serve as the superintendent of the Cheha District. And I want to thank you for joining us as we continue to read through the Bible together. Now this is the second week in Lent and the scripture we're going to explore today comes from Psalm 22. In fact, the reading for the second Sunday of Lent only comprises verses 23 through 31, which is this beautiful expression of hope in God. But I think it's all the richer to be read in context of the entire psalm and to go with the psalmist, as one commentator put it, from agony to alleluia. Now, we do normally read all of Psalm 22 on Good Friday. And the reason for that being is that the first verse of Psalm 22 is quoted by Jesus on the cross. In fact, in the four Gospels, as they tell the stories of the crucifixion, the Psalms are quoted eight times. And of those eight times, five of those verses come from Psalm 22. So there's this natural connection between Good Friday and Psalm 22. In the Jewish tradition, they make another connection between Psalm 22, and that is with the Festival of Purim. The Festival of Purim, if you're not familiar with it, is a celebration, it's a joyous celebration, of God's deliverance of the people of Israel from near genocide at the hands of the Persians. And you can find that when we get to that part of our readings in Esther, chapters 1 through 4. But go ahead and read it. It doesn't take long. It's a wonderful story. And you will see how it would fit Psalm 22 with its expression of near abandonment to Alleluia. So today I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. I invite you to join along with me if you wish, or just sit back and listen. Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day but you do not answer, and by night but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet, it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. 
of my help come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion, from the horns of the wild oxen you have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you of offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted, nor did he hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Did you feel it? The ups and downs of that psalmist. And it begins with that very opening cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night and find no rest. Now, this is not the oh, my God of our culture. It's not something that is taken for granted. This is a cry to my God. Not an expression of, oh, wow, I really like this, or, oh, I'm really surprised. But this is an expression that says, my God, I know you, you know me. Where are you? Where are you in my pain? This is about a God who is not far off. The psalmist does not assume that God is so far off or that God would not care about the pain. The psalmist assumes that God would answer when he cries out and is appalled and in pain because God does not. And for the first two-thirds of the psalm, this psalmist takes us on this roller coaster ride from the depths of near despair to the high hopes in God. And with each moment of hope, the psalmist remembers something he knows about God. First, the psalmist remembers God's faithfulness to his ancestors. And then... As he rolls back down into the pit of despair and cries out in pain, he remembers again that God has continued to be faithful in his own life. And he climbs back up into hope, only to crash back into pain. And then in the middle of verse 21, something happens. In the New Revised Standard translation that I read earlier, it says, Save me from the mouth of the lion, from the horns of the wild oxen. You have rescued me. But other translations translate this differently. King James Version says that God heard him, heard me. The New International Version says that God rescued me. But the Common English Bible actually comes closest to the Hebrew when it translates it 
From the horns of the wild oxen, you have answered me. So from the beginning with the cry of God, why don't you answer? In verse 21, God answers. And that changes everything. It actually reminds me of a verse in in Job 42, in verses 5 and the first part of 6, where after Job has been through pain, Job has been through hell on earth, and Job has cried out to God and asked God all these questions, and Job did not get answers. Instead, all Job got was God's presence. And Job says this. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. That the answer was not found in necessarily being rescued or being delivered out of the pain, but of God's presence in the pain. And from that moment on for this psalmist, that means the psalmist can praise God and that the psalmist is willing to testify, to witness, and to share the good news of God's presence even in the midst of pain. Now, Psalm 22 is what we call a lament. And we Americans are not good at lamenting. Even American Christians want to gloss over the pain and jump straight to hallelujah. But the fact is that for the psalmist and throughout most of Scripture, the beauty and the hope that is found in God is not found without struggle without pain. Instead, it is found in the midst of the pain when God is present and hope and light is given to us. Fact is, one-third of all the Psalms are lament, all of Lamentations, and throughout Scripture you hear a lament. And I gotta admit that sometimes they feel a little whiny. Sometimes they appear mean. And in fact, I used to dislike the messy emotions of the Psalms. But I do want to point out that there is a difference between complaint and lament. Dr. Glenn Packiam puts it this way. He says that a complaint is an accusation against God that maligns God's character. Whereas a lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in God's character. You can only lament when you trust that God cares and that it is in God's character to keep promises and to respond to pain. It reminds me of my favorite scene from the movie, The Apostle. It's one of my favorite scenes in any movie, actually. And in that movie, Sonny is a preacher. He gets himself in trouble. And there's a scene where he is up in his room, and he is yelling at God so loud that it wakes up a neighbor who calls his mother. His mother answers in the middle of the night. The neighbor wants to know what's going on, and she says this. She goes, that's my son. I tell you, ever since he was a itty-bitty boy, sometimes he talks to the Lord, and sometimes he yells at the Lord. Tonight, he just happens to be yelling at him. That's what lament is about. It's about knowing God intimately enough to share all of our emotions with him. And that's also why laments almost always end with praise. Once again, I used to find that disconcerting particularly in a time in my life when I was struggling with depression. I would read the Psalms of Lament, and I couldn't understand that turn to hope that would happen at the end. But now I find such great comfort in it, and knowing that that doesn't mean that 
they put on some sort of Pollyanna glasses and everything was okay, but that in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, they found God's presence. Really, it's about remembering. It's about remembering what God has done in the past, and, and that's part of the reason we study the Bible. We need to know the stories of how God has acted before, how God has kept promises, how God can be found in the depths, even of hell, according to the psalmist, or is found in the lion's den, or is found in the still, small voice. God's not found in the ways we expect God to be found, and, and the Bible tells us that again and again. But when we read the stories of the Bible, we learn to recognize God at work in things like still small voices, donkeys, you name it. We also need to know the stories of the saints that came before us. Those big-ass saints like Peter and Paul and even like John Wesley and Martin Luther or Martin Luther King, but also those little-ass saints, our grandparent who first taught us about the love of Jesus. That person in our Sunday school class that has experienced so much tragedy and still has hope. Those little s saints, the ones that often get overlooked, sometimes can be the most powerful examples and witnesses to the love and presence of God in the midst of pain and suffering. It's also about remembering what God has done for us. And this is why it's really important to practice gratitude. To each and every day, stop and thank God for what God has done in our life. There's a big deal right now, in fact, a big industry in gratitude journals. And psychologists would say it's very good for us psychologically. But the fact is, we know from the beginning, and the Psalms will tell us again and again, the practice of gratitude, of remembering what God has done in the past, both for others and for ourselves, is part of what brings us hope for the future. And so I really want to encourage you, perhaps, this Lent, if you've not picked up a spiritual practice for this Lent, to start the practice of daily writing down what you are grateful to God for. What has God done in your life that day? Where are the glimpses you've seen of God's hope in the midst of darkness and suffering, or even in the midst of joy, of course, the easier place? And when we remember what God has done, when we remember the character of God and God's faithfulness, then we know we can have hope. Now, this psalm, though, actually goes a step beyond the normal lament. In fact, someone says it actually like explodes the limit of the understanding of its time because the psalmist's experience of pain and of God's presence in suffering, not in God removing the pain, but being present in it, expands the impact of this hope on others. It moves from being good news from the poor to the rich. It moves from being good news from Israel to all nations. It moves from being good news to individuals to the communion of saints. It moves from the dead to the not yet born. It like ripples out, touching more and more, and it expands across time and across nations, and it just breaks down all barriers with the hope and the grace that comes from God. And that's why I suspect that at the worst moment of his life, after being betrayed, abandoned, and beaten, then nailed to a cross, as he hung in agony, Jesus chose to cry out the first line of this powerful psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Now, theologians argue whether or not God actually left Jesus in that moment. And I've heard many Christians actually argue with me that Jesus could not possibly have really felt forsaken. But in Hebrews, we're told that Jesus was tempted in all ways just as we are. And if that's true, then Jesus must have felt God's absence in that moment. Because we know that at some point in most of our lives, we will experience or we have experienced a moment when we, like the psalmist, wonder if God has forsaken us. As a pastor, I've heard that cry of anguish over and over again in funeral homes, in hospitals, in living rooms, in my office, and even Sunday school rooms. People dealing with the death of loved ones, with serious illnesses, with betrayal by friends and family, with addiction, and they cry out, where is God in all this? What have I done to deserve this pain? And why doesn't God answer my prayers for healing? Now, scholars will remind us also that Jesus was the product of an oral culture, one in which memorization of Scripture was the norm. And the Psalms, in particular, were learned as songs that would be sung So, while I do believe that the fully human part of Jesus truly felt God's absence, because how else could he truly know the depth of pain that human beings experience? And while I do believe he experienced the feeling of God's absence, I don't believe that God was truly absent. I think of Romans 8, that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing can separate us from God's love. But we know that there are times in which we are truly tempted to believe that God has left the room. But I also believe that Jesus knew the Psalms. And Jesus knew that this Psalm not only had verses that would echo throughout the generations as a prophecy of what would happen to him, but also that this Psalm expressed the truth of his experience on the cross that his suffering would explode all limits and would lead others from proclamation to witness of God's presence, of God's presence not only in the good times, but most especially in the midst of suffering and in the redemption of the world, saying, He has done it. In the movie, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, they repeat over and over again what they say is an old Eastern Indian proverb. Everything will be all right in the end, so if it's not all right, it's not yet the end. People keep saying that the pandemic, racial unrest, and political turmoil of 2020 and even the beginning of 2021 is unprecedented. But let's be honest, every age has had its challenges. We aren't the first to deal with any of these problems. In this life, we will always face difficult times. We will face them as individuals, as congregations, as a denomination, as a culture, and as a nation. But when we face these tough times, we need to remember just who it is we worship. We worship a God who is in the business of making all things new. A God who brings light into darkness. Actually, a God from whom even the dark is like light. A God who brings life from death. A God who is faithful to the end and beyond. So we too can declare, even in the worst of times, 
everything will be all right in the end. So if it's not all right, and yes, sometimes life is not all right, and that is why we lament. But even when life is not all right, it is not yet the end. And we can join our voices with the psalmist and with Jesus as we continue to sing God's praise, knowing that God hears our cries, God answers our prayers, and the end, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. So how can we keep from singing? Amen.